Welcome to the Federal's Files. In today's episode, Joe Biden's Freudian slip, Obama dodges socialism question, CNN caught in the act of malfeasance, and finally, more voter fraud claims and testimonies. But first, a little message from the media elect. I wear the big boot most of the time, but when coming out here, it's just kind of clumsy. So they gave me this little thing to work. How, how is your foot and what happened? What happened was I, <laughs> I got out of the shower. I got a dog and anybody who's been around my house knows dropped a little pup, dropped a ball in front of me and for me to grab the ball. And I'm walking through this little alleyway to get to the bedroom. And I grabbed the ball like this and he ran. And I was joking, running after him to grab his tail. And what happened was that uh, he slid on a throw rug and I tripped on the, on the rug he slid on. That's what happened. Oh, man. <laughs> not not, not very exciting story. So uh, there is your your uh, your media-elect. I call him media-elect because he's not yet the president-elect. The media uh, has anointed Joe Biden the powers of the president-elect or the presidential, the next presidential position, which is heavily contested right now. Trump team, litigation, everything that's going on. We're going to be hitting some of that litigation as well as a lot of these testimonies. Uh, from reports I've read, it says they have thousands of affidavits, signed affidavits. Affidavits, in other words, are testimonies under oath uh, with penalty of perjury if lying. And that is considered legitimate evidence. Uh, it is admissible in a court system for these these media outlets that are coming out saying that these are unsubstantiated claims or there is no... Uh, voter fraud evidence they are lying at this point they're lying in the very beginning they were making the the argument was oh there's no widespread voter fraud which they could be right because then it would be contingent upon the person saying there is widespread voter fraud that it was going on in every single municipality which is really you really can't claim that it's not even possible to be able to bring in that much evidence and that much information in order to uh, get that charge. And that's what the media kind of does. They try to manipulate. They set the uh, they set the standard or they set the roof or what have you. They really set what you need to prove by saying there's no widespread voter fraud. They completely change the they change pretty much the whole conversation. They really change it around to their liking. It's almost like when you're in the middle of a debate with somebody and then they change their entire point in its entirety and they try to uh, to to avoid the, their original argument that they came out with because they realized that their original argument had no substance. It was absent of substance. That's exactly what the media did with the whole voter fraud. And you're going to learn throughout this, uh, especially near the very end of this video, you're going to learn... A lot of these voter fraud claims, a lot of these affidavits, uh, there's just so much information. When Sidney Powell was stating that there was, uh, it was coming, there was so much information that it was like it was coming out of a fire hose, or so many scenarios or testimonies. She is a hundred percent, absolutely correct, unequivocally. There's so much information out there right now. They're having all these different hearings that it's really not even being covered on the mainstream or what we like to call the legacy media. You have different outlets, conservative outlets are covering it. I'm not sure about a lot of the lefty outlets uh, in terms of like the Young Turks, those people. I doubt they're covering it. 
I had to sit here and guess, they're probably not covering anything like it. They're just they're just saying, you know, Trump's losing in court, he's litigation's losing. At the end of the day, to lose these this litigation when it doesn't hold up in a state court, a lot of these like for Pennsylvania, for example, these uh, these municipalities or these cities went completely directly against Pennsylvania law, and the court system was still upholding it in Pennsylvania. And then when it got to the Supreme Court at the time, Amy Coney Barrett wasn't there, so it came out to a four-four vote, and they kicked it back down to the to the state uh, judicial branches. So the real goal for the Trump team is if they can't win in the state, they appeal it up to the Supreme Court. That's really where they're hoping to do their their most damage in the Supreme Court more than anything. It would just be an extra bonus if you can get the state court to really uh, not sanction the vote or not to not uh, validate the vote. That would be a huge win for the Trump team. But the real goal is to fight in the Supreme Court because they do have a majority. Now, me personally... My belief of the Supreme Court is I don't think they're going to overturn unless if it's overwhelming evidence. I don't think the Supreme Court will even throw out ballots unless if it's overwhelming evidence that there are fraudulent ballots. So there needs to be some serious, these these affidavits, these, uh, even if you, you're having these professional, and you'll see, uh, I have a professional expert testimony. I don't think they're going to care. I think to them that means nothing. They like getting their pats on the backs of their country clubs. They don't really even want to overturn any types of results anyway. For the most part, I would like to say a majority of them in the Supreme Court. You can count on Alito. You can count on Clarence Thomas. And you can count on Amy Coney Barrett. But Neil Gorsuch as well as a Brett Kavanaugh, especially Brett Kavanaugh, has let us down many times in the Supreme Court. And Gorsuch has recently let, let us down. So... I can't really see, uh, I can't see them unless if it, like I said, it's overwhelming evidence. And then the other four, I don't think, no matter what the evidence is that comes out of the other four, are not going to do anything. They're going to vote against it no matter what because they're hacks and they're liberal activists in the court system. But yeah, that's that's the that's the media-elect Biden. He's getting his softball questions, classic straight down the middle from a, a Jake Tapper here. It, this is a CNN exclusive interview. I have another clip for, from it as well. And that one's actually much more concerning and troubling rather than this one where it's kind of just a gag and it's a big joke. And uh, the, the next clip from this interview that I have, it's Biden pushing for a mask mandate when he gets his executive power. Uh, play clip two. My inclination, uh, Jake, is on the first day I'm inaugurated to say I'm going to ask the public for 100 days to mask. Just 100 days to mask. Not forever, 100 days. And I think we'll see a significant reduction if we occur that, if it, that, that occurs with vaccinations and masking to drive down the numbers considerably. Now, originally we had uh, 15 days to slow the spread that was supposed to, the reason for that was the 15 days to make sure there's not overcrowding in our hospital or at our uh, medical facilities. Now, this 100-day, now you're going to tell me there's going to be a 100-day mandate uh, through the federal government and how much longer. If, if 15 days turned into, at this point, what, eight months? Yeah, about, about eight months. Then what is it that... What is 100 days going to turn into? Is that going to be years? What are we doing now at this point? And and to begin with, the Biden does not have the federal the power to federally mandate a mask 
standard. And I think he actually in this interview, he acknowledges that. And then he goes on to continue to say, uh, but then we're going to, I'll meet up with the state governors and then I'll tell them, you know, you have to do it. And to begin with, state governors also don't have the power to do that. They're just doing it right now. There, it is not within their power. It is executive orders. There is no law that has been passed, I don't think, in any state across the board, not one in the entire country, any law that has been passed. So and then if it doesn't work with the state governors, then I'm going to go to uh, the cities. I'm going to go to each individual county and then municipality. And you're not going to do any of that. You don't have enough people. You don't have the supply. You don't have the money. You do not have the reach to do that. These are all things that you just say make you sound better same thing where he's setting up this covid task force just a bunch of government bureaucrats that are getting together as always to do the same government swampy things and just kind of hang around and not hang in the distance and act like all these different committees that they have are going to do so much work for the people and make such a huge difference you know it's it's always the same it's always the same talking points it's always the the same manner or rather uh it's, it's just the same feel all the time when they're talking about anything, folks. And it, it's just it's just such a bummer. It really is. It bums me out watching these people that, that people look up to our politicians that actually look to them for guidance. Uh, that's not the way in which it should work. They should look to us for guidance because we're the people and we should be deciding our own fate. We should not allow our fate to be decided by government bureaucrats that are appointed by government elected officials. And the reason that elected officials will appoint government bureaucrats, and when I say bureaucrats, I mean people that are not elected. So they are not actually the choice of the people. They are appointed by the elected official. And the elected official actually likes the idea of a bureaucracy. They like appointing people and having them in charge because then what happens is when everything crumbles down, it takes the accountability off of the politician. They can point their finger and say, oh, well, it was it was his idea. It wasn't my idea. It's not on me. It's on him or it's on her. You know, it's not it's not it's not on me because I appointed them, even though I am the elected official. So they love the idea of that big government bureaucracy. So, uh, yeah, that's his mask mandate. That's unconstitutional. That will not happen. I cannot see a Senate voting on that. I don't even think if a Senate was in the majority uh, for Democrats, they would vote on a mask mandate uh, federally. I don't think it could. I just don't think it could be done. I just don't. It's just because it's un- unconstitutional. It won't even pass through the Supreme Court. So it shouldn't pass through the Supreme Court. Now, next in this interview, this, this is the last part of uh, last clip for this interview. It is. Biden, uh, with a little bit of a Freudian slip. Check this out. When we disagree, it'll be just like, so far, it's been just like when Barack and I did. It's in private. She'll say, I think we should do A, B, C, or D. And I'll say, I don't, I like A, don't like B and C. Mm-hmm. And it's go, okay. But, and I, like I told Barack, if, if, if I reach something where there's a, a fundamental disagreement we have based on a moral principle, I'll, uh, I'll, 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 I'll develop some disease and say I have to resign. Um, uh, folks, this is, this is something that you're not going to get in the mainstream media. They're not going to cover this the way in which I am going to. That was a Freudian slip by Biden. He is, when Nancy Pelosi a couple months ago was referring to Trump, she was referring, oh, we're going to talk about the 25th Amendment tomorrow. The big thing that came out was maybe she's talking about Joe Biden. She wants to see actual actual legality and the system in which they would need to 
to do a uh, 25th Amendment. 25th Amendment is when the president is considered, you know, psychologically unwell or they can no longer carry out their duties. They're not in the physical or uh, mental capacity to, no, to, to carry out the duty of the presidency. And what ends up happening is it's either one of two things. You have the cabinet votes or a special counsel is appointed by the House of Representatives. I'm pretty sure it's the House of Reps. And then once that special, it's almost like impeachment. Actually, in a lot of ways, I think the stakes are actually higher as in it's more difficult than impeachment. I think that the special counsel has to push it through in the House of Representatives, whoever they appoint to be the special counsel. And then after that, the uh, the Senate has to vote on it. And then I think state legislators as well. I may be incorrect with that, but I'm not 100% sure. But what he's alluding to really is uh, he's saying, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll make something up about how I how I, I can no longer carry out my duties, and then I'll leave. If, and this is this is him talking about how his relationship worked behind the scenes with Kamala Harris. How's it working? You know, how is it going to work? And then he was like, "Oh, it's going to be the same as when it was me and Barack Obama. It was the same way. We'll do it the same way." And if we disagree on something, if it's a character flaw, then I'll I'll just I'll just make something up about me being sick, and I'll leave. He was saying the silent part out loud. Uh, Joe Biden at this point, uh, his his mental acuity just is not there. It's not the same as it used to be. As you can see, if if you're listening, even if you're wa- if you're watching more, you can see it. But if you're list- even listening, you notice the the stuttering. You notice him, the long pauses. He cannot think of what word he wants to say next. So he's kind of just letting the cat out of the bag here. And it's it's going to be covered by the media in a totally different way. Like, oh, he's joking. It was just a lighthearted joke. Uh-huh. You know, that's the way in which they're going to cover it. And this is the way I'm going to cover it with a little bit of context in, you know, looking at the past at exactly what Nancy Pelosi said. So next, what I have here for everyone is it's it's going to be Obama on, uh, if, if anyone's familiar with Good Luck America, I think the guy's name's Peter Hamby. The, the, uh, I don't know if he's the producer, if he is just the host of the show. I'm guessing he's both. He's probably the executive producer and the host. He's a big time lib. He tries to make it like he's in the middle. If anybody's ever seen him on Snapchat, he's kind of infamous there. He's always bringing on certain politicians to ask some questions. I think he brought on Matt Gates. He brought on Lindsey Graham once, but usually it's always libs. And if you notice just the groveling to begin with, you'll see in the video. But he asks Obama a question about the Democratic Party and what they're going to do to push capitalism and make them look much more pro-business and pro-free market rather than the socialist, the socialist uh, stick that they get from the Republican Party. So check out this clip here. Economic difficulty, you've got two wars, there's racism all around us. Socialism is cool, Bernie, AOC, they're cool. The Democratic Party isn't really cool. (laughs) What's the message, what's the pro-capitalist message, frankly, that Democrats can offer to young people? Socialism is still a loaded term for a lot of folks. Once again, instead of talking labels and ideology, we should focus on talking about getting certain things done. Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders both agree about raising the minimum wage. Nobody really cares about the label. They care that that is something that is important to a lot of young people and a lot of older people alike. Joe Biden and AOC think we should do something about climate change. What are the concrete steps that we can actually take to get that done? My advice for the Democratic Party is telling a story. Like, telling a story. 
So what he's referring to, this this is something that that uh, Democrats like because people resonate much more with anecdotals or with stories more than anything. So if you give a, a really, really sad sob story about how somebody with pre-existing conditions was not covered o- under Obamacare, now everybody should think that every, that we need a pre-existing condition mandate, raising thus raising everyone else's health insurance just for the, the amount of people that were ever under Obamacare under the pre-existing mandate and applied for it, it was 100,000. That was at, at, at its peak, uh, 100,000 people were enrolled in that program. So pretty much we should overthrow our entire healthcare, our private healthcare program to get a, a universal uh, federal program for 100,000 people with pre-existing conditions. So that's just a load of trash. That, that's, that's usually they like to push the narrative of, you know, it can happen to you. And that's why they like to use those stories, those generic personal stories, because everybody knows that person that had some sort of health issue. And it's, it's fear. It's fear incited. Uh, and then the question, I mean, as you can see, Peter Hamby's a huge lib. He's talking about how racism's all around us as if it's unavoidable. And um, like it is a, it's one of the biggest, most serious problems in our, in our society right now, the serious amount of racism that's going on. And uh, that, you know, that's his first thing. It's, it, the Democrats like to play in identity politics, and I'll tell you why they do. And it's very simple. It's all mind control type of things. I'm sure it's some some sort of focus group tested item. In America, the very biggest, the very biggest, uh, most disparaging comment that you can make about somebody is to call them a racist, probably, other than maybe a murderer or a rapist. But number three on that list is being a racist. It's, we're such a racist country, the very worst thing that you can actually be called that isn't a criminal charge is being a racist. So if you, if you said, you know, uh, in some scenarios, being called a racist is worse than, you know, actually committing a crime in America, you will be disowned from the society and ostracized for it. When it, when it could be unsubstantiated and it's not even true, when you go and you, this is why the damage, the damage ends up getting done because somebody can call you a racist and now it's somehow contingent upon you to prove that you're not a racist. But in the court of law, there's a presumption of innocence. So it should actually realistically be contingent, contingent on the accuser to prove the racism from the person that he's calling racist. And that's just something that they use this identity politics because your race, your color, uh, you know, your sex, it's the same thing as your sex as well, even though they like to kind of believe, they try to act like sex is malleable and you can kind of just choose whatever you want to be. They're immutable characteristics as in they cannot be changed. Where you come, where your family comes from is not something that can be changed. It is something that a lot of people take great pride in. So when they call someone racist, oh, this person doesn't like this, you know, you're not going to go and vote for that person when they're a racist. And that's why they use, they throw, they throw racism out there so many times. And it's just to win votes. Everything is always for political expediency. It's, it's another way to control the people, get them on their side because they cannot run on policies. You just, you just heard Obama. He couldn't, he just said, uh, oh, we're not going to talk about socialism because it's too stigmatized of a word. 
but we're pushing this, we're pushing, they're pushing socialist policies, but they don't even want to say they're socialist policies. Anytime that you're handing the government control and you're telling them how much somebody has to pay someone for their labor, that is a socialist policy. That is something that now you do not fully own your business because the government's telling you what you have to do with your business. Like It's almost like the government has become a part owner in your business and them telling you to pay somebody at a certain rate, therefore making it more and more authoritarian and much more socialist. So the question by Peter Hamby is actually like not a huge softball question. Just saying, hey, how do we get rid of the stigma of socialism in our party, and how do we, uh, you know, try to come with much more of a capitalistic approach? And Obama's answer is isn't, oh yeah, we should we should try to figure out a capitalist approach. No, his answer is we shouldn't use the word socialism, but we should still try to instill socialist policies. <laughs> it's just, and then next next in this video. He's going to extol AOC, and he's going to talk about her next uh, play next clip. Now, one thing I will say about the Democratic Party, promoting young people is really important. We stick so long with the same old folks and don't make room for new voices. You know, the Democratic National Convention, I thought, was really successful considering the pandemic. But, you know, the fact that an AOC only got, what, three minutes or five minutes. Good evening, bienvenidos, and thank you. When, you know, she speaks to a broad section of young people who are interested in what she has to say, even if they don't agree with everything she says, new blood's always good. And I, I say that as somebody who uh, used to be the young, shiny, cool guy, but uh, <laughs> now is the gray-haired old grizzled vet. Yeah, the gray is pretty rad. <laughs> yeah, like, the gray's pretty rad. That's that's Peter Hamby. That's the groveling, uh, genuflecting, as in you know, hailing down, getting on his hands and knees for, for the golden calf, Barack Obama. <laughs> that's that's the kind of question, softball questions that you get. So, it's funny after just mentioning socialism and the stigma behind it, then he goes on to cite an AOC. An AOC for the right is actually. She she's a great thing for the right. You would hope she gets more and more mainstream. She might be running in this next. She could. I think she's going to be old enough in this next election, the twenty twenty four. She could actually run for president if she really wanted to. I wouldn't be surprised to see her on a ticket. I wouldn't be surprised to see her in a nomination. And uh, it's good, you know. It, it really shows how far the left is, and she's a representation of it. And that age of people, that uh, that millennial age, which I am, I fall within uh, the millennials. I'm a little bit younger than she is by a couple years. And she really shows the mentality of those people. Like today, she's having a fight right now with Dan Crenshaw on Twitter. She's going back and forth with him, saying, you know, all these Republicans have never worked a double before in their lives. All these, you know, this and that and the other thing. It's like, you have no idea what Republican voters... That's the problem between the Democrat and the Republican Party, which... I've noticed it's such a strong difference. It's the Republican Party, or just conservatives in general, we think that the opposing side just has really bad ideas. They think that we're just really, really bad people that ha happen to have ideas with it because they cause racist. They do all these things to, to try to uh, delegitimize us and vilify our opinions. And this this really reflects it because you're looking at She's going back and forth with a guy that served in the United States uh, Navy. I think he was a SEAL. I'm pretty sure it was a Navy SEAL, Dan Crenshaw. And an IED blew up in his face, and I think that's how he lost his eye. 
He only has one eye. The guy walks around with an eye patch. It's pretty badass. And uh, she's going back and forth saying, you know, Republicans have never worked, you know, a double shift before and all this stuff. Like, you have no idea what conservatives around the country have done. A lot of them are truck drivers. They work crazy hours, insane schedules. Don't don't diminish uh, everyone else's work because you were a bartender in New York and you had to work a double shift every once in a while. Everybody has to work. Or most people have to work. I just don't understand. And that's something that even if President Trump, if you notice a lot of the things when he goes up and gives speeches... He never wrecks the Democrat voter. The only people he ever wrecks that are Democrat voters are Antifa and BLM or criminals. But he never, ever, ever, I don't think you can find a clip out there where he wrecks the average, uh, regular Democrat voter. He'll go after the politicians. They're fair game to him. He will trash them all day. But then there's times where he'll mention, he'll say, oh, they're good people, good people, good people on both sides. He, he makes all those comments where he actually doesn't take a position on the voters. He doesn't disparage voters. He's he's not derisive. He doesn't make derisive uh, comments towards the, the voting class of the Democrat Party, which I thought is, I think it is, it is a stark comparison and it is a representation of where the two parties are. And then the Democrat Party just trashes everyone that's in the Republican Party all the time. Talking about making lists. Talking about how Republicans never pull yourself up by your bootstrap. Like making fun of Republican sayings and conserv- things that conservatives say. And saying, oh, you guys never worked a double you know, double shift before. And then, you know, Dan Crenshaw's re- response is something like, oh yeah, you know what, I'm sorry. I gotta, I gotta stop. I gotta think about my privilege because I was in Afghanistan for like six months at a time. <laughs> like fighting people in the uh, in the hills of Afghanistan in the middle of the forest, you know that's his that's was his response to AOC, which was pretty pretty solid. Uh, so yeah, but that's that's the difference between the Democrats think that the Republicans are just bad people that happen, or you know Republicans and conservatives go like to lump both of them together. They're just bad people that happen to have ideas. Even the voting class. Now, you can rip the politicians as much as you want, but ripping the average working citizen is something that Donald Trump knows is just, it's not a winning idea, and that's why he doesn't do it. But he'll rip the politicians all day. He doesn't care. And the way that the left views their politicians is they view them like they are deities, and they they canonize them like they're gods. So they take offense to it, you know. When people rip Trump all day, every day, everywhere you look, it's just they're just trashing the dude. But next I have, to change over the subject to the next uh, segment here, I have a business owner from Michigan. So these draconian lockdowns is really affecting businesses. Uh, Business owners are starting to step up in particular. uh, From what it seems like, a lot of bar owners, it's it's really small business owners have to step up because the big businesses don't have to worry about regulation from the government because, you know, the government's in their pocket and the government will do whatever to accommodate them. But if you're a small business owner, you get screwed and you get no money and you get no relief. So here is, this has gone viral, this is a man from Michigan, a local news station from what it looks like, and he's just in the background talking, and he gets a little quick interview with the uh, with the correspondent there. Play next clip. The details on why the judge said no. Tavarius, uh-huh. is everything okay? Okay. Our government leaders have abandoned me. Are you are you the owner? Four trillion dollars of stimulus money. I gave it to who? Special interest groups and campaign donors. I'm Dave Morris. I own the place. So what's going on? What's going on? You know what's going on. Tell me. You tell me. Hey, we got a government 
that has taken the stimulus money, they gave it to special campaign donors, they gave it to special interests, they abandoned me, and they have put me in a position where I have to fight back, okay? So do you feel that this is the right thing to do? Absolutely. I feel everybody needs to stand up. Hey, listen, there was enough money to give every family, every family in this country $20,000 to go home for two months. They chose to give it to special interests and campaign donors, the Kennedy Space Center, and they abandoned us. So you could have given me money. I'd gladly walk away for 60 days and let this virus settle down. I'm not going to do it alone. Okay. Are you going to continue to violate the state's orders and this stay open? This is a sta state order. This isn't an order. This is a conspiracy. This is a tyranny. What do you want to tell other restaurant owners who... Wake up. Stand up. This is America. Be free. I got paid Man, that's heavy. Uh, amen, brother. You're right. Be free. He, he's he's right. And and by the way, his math I think is actually right on that too. I I just did the math. I was looking at it online. I think the relief bill was about two. I want to say it was two trillion. Uh, there's about 182 or 100 no 128 million families in the United States that would have deemed it something like sixteen thousand. I believe if it was two trillion, from what I looked up, so he's close. I mean, twenty thousand dollars. He's saying pretty much, hey, you could have gave us, given every single one of our families twenty thousand and said, <clears throat> for the next two months, just kind of hang out and see what happens. Even fifteen thousand would suffice for two months. On a, on you know, if you're an average working class family, fifteen thousand for two months would be able to. You'd be able to get by on that. But that's not what they did. They paid special interests. I mean, he's he's absolutely... A lot of things he's saying here is right. This, the Kennedy Space Center, there was a lot of this stupid funding that the Democrats were trying to push. They were trying to bail out the post office. They were trying to throw all these, these things into this bill. And the saying is, don't ever let a crisis go to waste. So this crisis actually helped them to pass some of their legislative things that they wanted to pass uh, in terms of budgeting. It's just another crooked way to get money... Uh, from the people, so that's that's him there. He doesn't care. He's going against the orders. And don't you love the uh, the correspondent there or the reporter? Oh, you're going against the COVID lockdown order. Obviously, there's a left leaning there. No, uh, no surprise by that. But and next, I have. I mean, there's so many instances of this. But next, this one is the sting operation. I believe I alluded to it in a former video. This is the sting operation that happened in Staten Island. Uh, just a little context. We have undercover sheriffs, New York sheriffs, not even police officers, sheriff's officers, walked into this business. I guess it was after 10 o'clock or the time in which, yeah, I believe it was 10 o'clock after the curfew. And they asked for burgers and, uh, and beers. And then the gentleman... Uh, the gentleman that owned the bar had to make a $40 donation. I guess that's how he was trying to get past the the lockdowns, the 10 o'clock lockdown. And then he was also saying that it was an anomalous zone as well, or not an anomalous, a uh, rather an independent zone or whatever they set up over in, uh, over in uh, what's it called? When they set that up in Portland, Oregon. He was saying that, you know, autonomous, there you go, an autonomous zone. 
they were sovereign, saying, like, I don't know if it was a joke or if he was being serious. But whatever happened, it was a sting operation. These sheriff's officers went in. Uh, they paid for food. And as soon as they paid for food, they issued this man a summons for trespassing on his own property because at that point he's trespassing because they don't really know how to even enforce an executive order like that because they know it's unconstitutional, but they went ahead anyway, which is which is pathetic that these sheriff officers are even doing this. It is sad and pathetic, and the people in Staten Island are not happy about it. They've been in the streets for the last couple of days. There's been protests outside yelling, you know, F you Cuomo, things like that. But yeah, so that's that's what happened to him. And here's an interview that the two gentlemen there, the one on the right is going to be a, uh, I believe it's the lawyer of the bar owner. And the one on the left is another bar owner, I think, near his bar or across the street or something like that. Uh, play clip seven. But they charged him what I what what they are sure me is just a criminal trespass. But it's still a misdemeanor. It's still a crime. And he's still going to spend the night in jail for for trespassing, quote-unquote, in his own establishment where he is the lease owner and general manager. Now, I don't like this at all. I don't like this at all. But wait a second. Go ahead, John. Greg. Greg, it's a government takeover. We just saw the government come in, raid a business, take it over, lock it down for doing absolutely nothing. We got a whole bunch of activists. People are literally stopping their cars in the street. And I got to tell you, there's a lot of people coming out to support these guys. I hope there's a lot more business owners around the country. Maybe the thing to do is occupy your business. Stay in there 24 hours a day and let the sheriffs try to come in and get you out of the place. Because when they drag you out, that's when people start waking up to what's really happening. And I may just... Johnny Tobacco. That's the name of the last guy that was talking. Johnny Tobacco from uh, Liquid Lunch is the name of his, the restaurant that he owned. But yeah, they're absolutely right. Civil disobedience is going to be, I guess at this point, the only way in which these problems get solved. We're talking about a, a criminal trespassing charge. This man got charged for being in his own bar. That's what we're doing now, sheriff's officers. That's what of New York. And you know what? I bet you the NYPD wouldn't even go and do things like this just because their union wouldn't would not allow them or they would not want to do this. So they put the sheriff's officers up to it instead and they end up putting together a sting operation to arrest the guy on criminal trespassing on his own property. That's what we're doing now. That's the police state. That's Gestapian tactics. It's 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 tyrannical and uh you know holding down and th this gentleman johnny tobacco i mean this this video was so staten island by the way i have family members that are from staten island it's such a staten island <laughs> video with the accents and everything the whole idea anybody that's watching it on video you'll understand and uh you know, he, he's right. You need to get perp walked out of your own business. This needs to happen more and more often now at this point for people to maybe finally wake up to what's going on. Unfortunately, that is, it seems like that is the only way, uh, a civil disobedience is the only way at this point to flip over the ideas of, of the widespread amount of people, of the consensus. So there, the next part here is them explaining... Uh, what has been taken, like what has been done, the, their compliance with COVID, and then the mob form that's that's currently forming on the street. When you're inside the place, uh, I haven't been lately, but you know you keep social distancing. Everybody's doing what they're supposed to do for the COVID, right? Yes, without a doubt. Again, they were following all social all social restrictions. Um, they were 
everybody was polite and respectful, even when the officers came in, and they still were aggressive, and they still threw everybody out, and they still arrested my client. It's like the mafia. Staten Island gets a bad rap for being like in the mob. Governor Cuomo is a mobster. He just sent down his Gestapo squad here tonight and locked the place down. Hundreds of people in the streets screaming and yelling, supporting the owners, saying, leave him alone. But the Gestapo took the guy out in handcuffs. And Greg, those people weren't in the streets until the word got out and we were stuck in there an hour waiting for these summonses. They refused to let us out and they refused to let me out of the place, even though I said I was their attorney and not an employee. That's when the crowd started forming. Everybody inside was polite. Hey, can I see the door, whoever's holding the phone or whatever you got there? Is the door, is, do they actually shut it? Let me just take a look if you don't mind. All the trades. Oh, oh my gosh. They're guarding the front of the, that's a Could bar that they're guarding? Could you imagine you need 40 cops in the streets of Staten Island to lock up one restaurant over owner for giving away free beer? For giving away free beer. So that's Johnny Tobacco. Most of the big hits are coming from him. He he has a lot of words of wisdom, but he is right. Uh, for for those of you listening on podcast, they have about from what it looks like, it looks like seven to eight guys just standing in front of the door of this establishment alone. And then he said something like forty guys in the street to sh- just to shut down this one bar. And this is something that was created. These issues that are now arising, and all of this this these law enforcement officers that have to be there now is. Cr- this problem was created because of their actions and as well as the actions of the governor or whoever assigned this order to be carried out. This is all created by themselves. This is a problem that has been created by themselves. It's just the people responding and reacting to the tyrannical acts that have taken place. They were holding them inside of the inside of the business, inside of the bar, not allowing them to leave. And once word got around to the rest of Staten Island, well, Staten Island doesn't mess around with things like that. So they were in the streets uh, protesting. They were not too happy about it. Now, the very next segment I have here, and this is going to be, this is the O'Keefe special. This is what I mentioned before, Project Veritas, James O'Keefe, the founder of Project Veritas. He he finds ways to infiltrate uh, these organizations that are practicing malfeasance. And in this case, he somehow had some sort of insider scoop at a at a CNN. And so for the last two months, he has been listening to all of their conference calls. So he just announces it here. This is the introduction. There's going to be a couple videos. He's, got, he's going to be releasing them, I think, up until like December. I think he said something like it's going to be a uh, one of those calendars for Christmas. Up until Christmas, he's going to be... He's these advent calendars. He's going to be uh, releasing different clips or different uh, sound bites of what they're saying. And what they're saying is it confirms a lot of the things that I've recently said about CNN. So I'll play the first clip. No, I'm hey, Jeff Zucker, are you there? Hey, yeah. this is James O'Keefe. Uh, we've been listening to your CNN calls for basically two months, uh, recording everything. Um, just wanted to ask you some questions if you have a minute. Um, do you still feel you're the most trusted name in news? Because I have to say from what I've been hearing on these phone calls, I don't know about that. I mean, we got a lot of recordings that indicate you're not really that uh, independent of a, of a journalist. Um, thank you for, uh, thank you for uh, your comments. Um, 
So everybody in light of that, I think what we'll do is we'll we'll set up a, a, a new system. On that one, uh, Zucker's filling up his diaper. He doesn't know what to do. <laughs> James O'Keefe's like tormenting these people. His last couple of days, he's been releasing so much, so many clips and footage. I'm gonna have in the description below. I'll have some of these videos, but in particular, the James O'Keefe videos. There's so many of them that have come out. So I'm going to put it up the website, and that one website has actually all, I think, that have come out so far. There's going to be more. Now, the next one that, that he puts up is, uh, let's see, the next one that I have is the, the Zucker, which is, you know, that's like the CEO, the owner of CNN, pretty much, the guy that runs everything from behind. It seems like he actually has a very high impact on what goes on the network because he tells people pretty much what to report on. So first is him telling his employees to make sure negative stories stick to Donald Trump and not to go off of, of what Twitter thinks, and most importantly, don't cover the Hunter Biden child pornography allegations. Uh, play clip six. We show it or talk about it. We're actually giving it some air. Each of these so-called scandals for Trump, each of these things... We should just once again be careful to say that this is the one that uh, is going to undo him with his voters. We're, we're, we always think that, but uh, we need to make sure we, we have a, a sense of what's going on out in the country and not uh, just listen to Twitter. With regard to the, uh, with regard to the, um, the filth that, the, that, that they're spreading, uh, with regard yeah. to child pornography and all of that. Um, I do not uh, believe that we should be covering those allegations, even even if they're out there on Newsmax. The most trusted name in news. There you go. Uh, that is that is CNN. You have Zucker is actually the president. Uh, yeah, he, he's telling them really what to do. Do not, and whatever, don't listen to Twitter, whatever you do. It seems like that how that's how that must be how CNN gets their plays. They must look at the Twitter audience and they play to the Twitter audience, which does not represent the rest of America. There's a high percentage of people that are not on Twitter in America, especially middle America, and those are the what they call the flyover states, the ones that they can constantly misinterpret and they... They really, what they're doing is they're in the business of influence peddling. What they do is they use their influence and their power. They don't, they do no longer do they report the news. What they do is they report what they want and they frame it in a way in which to get people to move over to the Democrat Party and the Democratic agenda. And you'll see, I mean, I have more video here where it'll just further and further prove my point. And then the allegations against Hunter Biden, whatever you think of them, you're not even going to mention them on your network. So you didn't see any of the. It was it was a suppression not only by not only by CNN, but it was also a suppression by the mainstream. Uh, these social media platforms, you weren't really allowed to say it without disclaimers uh, being on any of your posts. So next, what I have here is I have. I don't, I don't, I'm not aware of what her position is in the company. It's a senior, senior vice president saying, talking about Cuban voters in Florida. Uh, play clip three. Senior vice president of CNN, Cynthia Hudson, recorded on Jeff Zucker's 9 a.m. telephone call, CNN. The reason the Cubans voted for Trump is because they're attracted to bullies. Check this out. Trump has used the communism, socialism, um, uh, uh, rhetoric 
as part of his uh, hook for the Cubans in Miami, how that has resonated and how the Biden, the Biden team has not done enough to counter that. This is all that, that the only reason they are supporting Trump is because of that narrative. And that narrative and the fact that, sadly, I have to say, uh, there's a population that uh, is very attracted to bullies and that no one is countering it properly in Florida. The Cubans are going to vote for Trump, and that's terrifying. And so um, I think that there is a way to counter the narrative in Florida that is not being taken advantage of. Classic trope, the, the, the classic go-to for the Democrats, what they do, the Democrat media says, instead of it being Cuban voters don't like our platform, they don't like our policies, they don't like the things in which we espouse, instead of instead of trying to maybe change your model for the people, for the voter, what they do is they just attack them. So there is a population, as in there is a po- population of the Cuban population that likes bullies, is really what what the uh, senior vice president is alluding to. And that's another thing is what's very weird about president with, with Zucker and then this woman as well. They're not really that well-spoken. You would think on these conference calls that they, it would be much more professional and it would have some sort of a semblance or it would be, they, they would articulate themselves better with just better verbiage or the way in which they flow. It just seems very clunky to me. And it doesn't surprise me that, They've done so badly and so poorly over these last couple of years because it shows they were poorly ran. The fact that this guy, James O'Keefe, was even able to get in there without them realizing shows that they're poorly ran. And they're not even aware who's on their own conference calls, what's going on. <laughs> they're just completely unaware of everything that's going on. And like I said, instead of changing, we got to change the narrative to, to make it like he's not a socialist or he's not, or he doesn't espouse these far left policies. We got to pretty much cover for him. Rather than report the news, isn't your job to report exactly what's going on? Like when they say things like, oh, he wants free health, he wants this, he wants that. It's all things that he said before. Oh, he wants to get a refracking. It's all things that you can now. The media dishonesty is so insane that they have to, they can't show any news. There has to be a total blackout of things. And the only things we can get it is on conservative media like myself and other independent people that are, that are outside of these legacy media types. At this point, it's the only place where you can get some honest reported news. And I'm not, I don't consider myself like a news guy or a journalist or anything. I'm just a guy that reads and then takes my sources and puts them online for other people with a little bit of opinionated commentary to also listen to. It's ridiculous that they, they just want to shut down everything that's opposed to their ideology or their ideas. That's what they're doing. And they don't want anybody to know the truth. And they want to change the narrative instead of. How about you change your candidate? How about you guys change your policies maybe that you're trying to push? Maybe you'll gain more voters that way. And now in the day of the internet, when everything's out there, when he says he's going to get rid of fracking, bingo! That's what he says. Oh no, that's the, that's the guns. Bingo! We're going to take your AR-15. And he's like, there's going to be no fracking. Absolutely none. We'll work it out. That's what he says. We'll work it out. I mean, come on. This is ridiculous. Next, next I have... Uh, which this one's actually, this one's worse. This one may be, no, maybe the last one might be the worst, but this one's very bad. This one is uh, Jamie Gangle, who was a special correspondent, saying they don't want them to cover the non-concession from Trump too much. Just listen to the clip. I'll explain afterwards. 
people this morning. I just want to underscore something that Michael said earlier about the transition and Trump, because I've been talking to a lot of people this morning on both sides, and they, I just keep hearing the same thing, both from Republicans who have not come out to congratulate Biden, but, uh, but also to those who have in the Democrats. And that is that we have to be, you know, news organizations have to be very careful and very responsible about not giving Trump too much of a platform on his not conceding because they feel the transition can go forward and you know other than the national security briefings which are critical to start now uh they just don't want us to exaggerate that trump isn't leaving office and i'm going to have a lot of specific reporting on that later today but just big picture wanted to underscore what michael had said Yep. This this insinuates some really swampy activity because not only when she, when uh, Jamie Gangle she to begin with I love how it's a special correspondent so now now when she goes back and she states they and she's talking about Democrats she's also talking about Republicans briefly sounds establishment uh, swampy to me it sounds very very swampy but this is what I've said before. Uh, in previous episodes, it's almost like the left gets their, or the leftist media gets their their marching orders from the DNC, which is something that I said, and it looks like they do. These uh, politicians on both the Republican and the Democrat side, mostly the Democrat side, is telling them not to play up the fact that uh, Trump is not conceding the election, and this was only, this was only November 9th. This is like directly after the Associated Press came out with information, uh, came out uh, anointing Joe Biden the media elect president of the United States. And this is right after that. And they're coming out with, oh, don't make a big deal about him not conceding because you don't want to give him the platform. Because if you continue to say, oh, he hasn't conceded, he hasn't conceded, he hasn't conceded, then some people might actually look into it. Why, why is it that he hasn't conceded yet? This doesn't make any sense. What is going on that he's holding on and now he's pushing a litigation in court. People might actually look it up and look what's going on and try to figure it out. And they don't want that. They want if to them, no media is good media. No, no uh, press is good press for them. And it's sad because they're supposed to be the free press. They are supposed to inform the people, and they it is a dereliction of their duty to the people in their position. That they are not educating anyone or informing anyone of what is going on. That other people have to go out and do it. The fact that I even have a platform, the fact that anybody even tunes in to what I'm to what I'm saying and what I'm talking about and the videos that I'm playing, just goes to show that there is that there's definitely they are not picking up the slack in that regard. So that that's very very damning. She's pretty much saying the Democrat Party is telling us not to talk about him not conceding, and other Republicans, which I thought was interesting, is it's, you know this this sounds to me a little bit swampy. You know, there's there's these establishment types that want to keep the legacy media and and the legacy government going. They want their little in crowd that they have. 
They want to get paid off by special interest groups. They want to get paid off by lobbyists. And Trump shut a lot of that stuff down. They don't, And that's why they don't like him. That's why the establishment is against him. So next here, what I have, and it's the very last video. It's, it's, it's pathetic. It makes me almost sick. And it's how they, they devised how it's a national security threat uh, not to have Trump concede, essentially. And you'll understand. I'll, I'll break it down after. Uh, play clip 10. The 9-11 report talks about one of the problems was that this, the, 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 the trouble that was brewing got lost during the transition. So if you want a good concrete example of what happens when you don't have a good transition, go look at the Twin Towers. So I think that's an important point. Um, uh, I think it was discussed a little bit yesterday in terms of national security. I think it's really uh, important to raise again. So what you're seeing here, that that's an invoking of 9-11 in order to, uh, you know, to diminish the president or to, to disparage the president, condemn him, get people to turn their backs on him. Oh, if, if the transition team doesn't, if, if the president doesn't allow the transition team to go through, then we're going to have another 9-11. They always go to the most extreme example. And you know what's actually funny? They're almost conceding at this point that 9-11 was the fault of a uh, Clinton administration rather than it was a George W. Bush administration because there was not a proper transfer or a proper uh, briefing of national security issues for that next uh that next administration that came in and took over that, that was very that's very interesting but you see stephanie becker saying this to jeff and at the very end if you're somebody that's listening and not watching it's stephanie becker and then jeff zucker at the end yeah i think so it's an important point it was a little bit yesterday in terms of the national security i think it's really important to raise again it's very interesting the way in which these conferences calls go it's almost like he has complete reign over everything, Jeff Zucker, and he kind of pushes it in what direction he wants them to speak and what things they can and can't talk about, which is not media, that is not reporting. The When you are a reporter, you're supposed to just report the facts and the truth, that's the point. If you want to do your editorializing, at least still bring up the facts and the truth. And here they're suppressing the facts and the truth. And then they're kind of contriving their own narrative in order to get Trump. And they've had a Trump derangement. Uh, they've had the, the Trump derangement syndrome for the last four years. And they have made Trump rise to prominence. And if Trump is not the president, after everything's said and done, it ends up being media-elect Biden... They will have to go to business. They have nothing else to do. What are they going to do? Grovel and they're going to genuflect upon a Joe Biden? Is that what's going to happen the next four years? I mean, it's already happening. They're talking about his socks. They're talking about his dog in the White House. It's really weird what's going on with him. It doesn't really make any sense. But yeah, that, that is our media today. That is CNN, the most honest name in news or what is it? The best name in news. Who even cares because they're, they're nothing. They're meaningless right now. They are the least trusted name in news. The only place where they're playing is in airports where no one's paying attention actually there legitimately probably is nobody in airports right now so they're just playing with no one watching at all so next next i have my next segment which is uh man it's i'm going to be covering all the voter fraud claims and it's going to be the very last segment 
So next is the Georgia tabulating video, and this is something that's come out in recent days. And this one may be the most damning video of them all, if it all turns out to be true. And uh, I'll just I'll just let you watch the clip, and then I'll brief you afterwards. At 8 o'clock in the morning, and we're going to roll this back and show it to you. There you go. So now they're going to start pulling these ballots out from under this table. This table, the black one, was placed there by... The lady with the blonde braids at about 8.22 a.m. in the morning. So she put that table there. So the same person who's staying behind now, the same person who cleared the place out under the pretense that we're going to stop counting, is the person who put the table there at 8.22 in the morning. Yeah, I saw four suitcases come out from underneath the table. Yeah, upper right hand, you see the gentleman in, in the red. So he just pulled one out. So wh what are these ballots doing there, separate from all the other ballots? And why are they only counting them whenever the place is cleared out with no witnesses? Is the question. So these machines can process about 3,000 ballots an hour. You have multiple, multiple machines there, and they're there for two hours. So you do the math. How many ballots went through those machines in those two hours when there was no one there to supervise, to be present, consistent with your statutes and rules, to supervise the tabulation? We believe that could easily be, and probably is certainly, beyond the margin of victory in this race. So you, those of you that are listening on podcast, I'm going to give you a little rundown, a little context of what's going on here. This is in Georgia. This is a Georgia voting location. I'm not exactly sure where it is, but we have all these individuals that are working, uh, counting the ballots and tabulating. They tell everyone to go home. They tell the Republican poll watchers to go home as well. And as soon as they leave, they start taking these suitcases full of, full of uh, ballots out from under the tables in which they were counting the ballots originally, like they were hidden under the tables, under the tablecloth, and they pulled them out. And the way, if you look at the operation, the video, that's it. I mean, it's it's everywhere online right now. You can really find it. Just look up something like uh, Georgia hidden ballots or hidden suitcases. You'll find it. And I will leave as well. I'm going to leave the link up there in the description if you want to view it. But you have, and, and the woman's been identified, the person really spearheading the operation at 8 in the morning. She brought all of these suitcases in when, like, no one was there in the building. And then uh, and then once everyone, they told all these poll watchers to leave. And then they pulled out all of these, these ballots from under these tables. And I guess they're counting. I don't know exactly what's going on. It seems very fishy. But if if these allegations are correct, from what I've read... These tabulated votes amount to around 24,000 votes. Trump lost in Georgia by 11,000 votes, and which makes it beyond the margin of victory, meaning if they can somehow turn around all these votes, if they were somehow fraudulently counted. And in general, the law in the state of Georgia, which is why they're doing, they're not even doing a recount, they're doing like a an envelope. They're looking at envelopes and signatures on envelopes, which I don't think really is going to make any difference because... It still doesn't handle how the votes were tabulated at all. 
whatever. But, but so this this lady is saying, you know, this is twenty four thousand votes. This is beyond the margin of victory. If this was somehow to get turned around and these votes were considered fraudulent votes, Trump would end up winning Georgia alone just from this video. And uh, there needs to be an investigation. Obviously, there needs to, the court needs to really figure this out. It seems like the court is very lackluster, all of the courts, in trying to do any of this. I, I right now do not have much confidence in our court system because I think that a lot of these people are actually afraid to make any decisions to influence any type of election or throw out any ballots. They don't want to throw out ballots. It's not something they want to do. They don't want to really get involved in things like that. They just like their, you know, the the bureaucracy. Everyone kind of patting each other on the back. You go to the country club over the weekend. They make enough money where they live in above those means where, and everybody I'm talking about in the federal government in general, they live above these these means of what middle class citizens live above. So they almost live in a totally different world, and they're somehow our ruling class. And I say that with air quotes for those that are not watching because I don't want to be misinterpreted. Or misconceived, you know, uh, it's 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 astonishing. It's remarkable that that these people get away with stuff like this, and then you won't hear anything about this in the mainstream media. You'll just hear a bunch of things trying to uh, discount it, and they'll say, "Oh, well, those suitcases—that's how they hold the ballots. This is how they do this." this is how... Yeah, but at the end of the day, the one most important part of this entire thing is the fact that there's not one, there's no Republican poll watchers there while you're counting the votes. Whether you want to say they're legal or not, you guys are still not abiding by the rules. And why are you not abiding by the rules? And why, if you watch the video, the way they're looking around in the building, the way they're walking, it almost looks like they are doing something that is illegal. The way in which they're, they're doing, if you're watching it, you think you're going, what the heck's going on? These people look like they're... They look, they look like they're worried about getting caught, like they're doing something illegal. But, you know, that's just my personal perception of it. But at the end of the day, this these these ballots, from what it looks like, were illegally counted just because there are no Republican poll watchers there to watch what's going on. So next what I have, and this is the, oh, the mainstream media, oh, there's no, there's no voter fraud, there's no voter fraud, there's no voter fraud. I've been sitting here reporting on voter fraud now for like three, this is like my third or my fourth video about voter fraud. I have to go in-depth myself to go find this information because it's not easy to find. So, and they make it so it's not easy to find. They suppress it. Next video I have here, and this one's very, very interesting. It's pretty awesome. Uh, this Arizona colonel, uh, his name's Colonel Waldron. He's a cybersecurity uh, analyst and expert. He explains that the Dominion voting machines can be manipulated. So uh, just play that clip. Either. Well, we're talking about it was Mr. Krebs. Krebs? Is that correct? Correct. Okay. He stated the um, most secure election in history. He stated uh, we're not connected to the internet. He stated no votes leave this country. This is all things he's stated. He's stated publicly. So no, you, it's just a website, correct? Right. So are you willing to say under oath that you have seen the connection to the internet? You have seen it go offshore to Germany, Frankfurt. Are these things that you have personally seen and can say that is not true? Our, our white hat hackers, yes, they have that traffic in the packets. So why would he, why would he make that kind of comment, do you think? Either not knowing, believing the myth, um, or not wanting the truth to, to be known. 
Thank you, Senator Morelli. If this turns out to be true, this is pretty. This is pretty. Some pretty impactful stuff. This is very strong. It's robust. It's a robust argument. Uh, he also mentions when he says white uh, hat hackers, he's saying these are considered ethical hackers. These are people that were able to somehow uh, intercept these these vote tabulations because this uh, voting software, the Dominion voting machine, is actually connected to the internet. Despite what some people believe, and that's what he explains, is it was intercepted by white hat hackers, ethical hackers, essentially. And then he also is mentioning, he, he continues to mention in this in this uh, sworn testimony that these voting systems aren't even as safe as your Venmo account. He says, and I quote, your vote is not as secure as your Venmo account, end quote. And he's talking about they're able to figure out that these votes came through. They, and they went to apparently what he said, Frankfurt, Germany. And in the very beginning, this this uh, this official, this government official that's questioning him, he's referring to Chris Klebs, who's the he's like the community, he was the communication director or something like that in the White House, and he got fired by Trump because he came out and said that there is no there is no voter fraud, uh, there's no voter fraud evidence, this, that, the other thing. It was the most secure election of all time. And then Trump's like, all right, we'll see you later. You're not on board with us. You were a, a Democrat operative this entire time. See you later. You were part of the swamp. Thank you. See you later. No thanks. Get out. And, uh, yeah, and he said something like his team observed. So Walden must have some sort of team or some sort of company that he runs. He's been, he's been in this business for a very long time, uh, the cybersecurity business. And he said there were there were plenty of vulnerabilities allowing hackers to penetrate the system. He said his team observed packet traffic that went from U.S. to Frankfurt, Germany, but wasn't sure if the traffic was coming from Dominion or uh, another automated voting system. He explained packet traffic or bits of information that are sent over the Internet protocol from one point to another. An automated voting system called uh, Sintel is located in Germany, an automated voting system company. So I guess somehow the votes were sent there, be counted. I know this all sounds very confusing. From what I understand, though, and then and then he went on. He continued to say that there was approximately thirty five thousand fraud votes added to each Democrat uh, candidate's vote totals, which I thought was very interesting. Because you got to remember, this is an affidavit. If you end up lying about any of this, especially think think about this: the way in which the last administration, Obama administration, went after their political foes. Considering this is going to be a third Obama administration, if a Joe Biden were to get in, these people that right now that are all coming out with sworn affidavits. They're there's, apparently there's thousands of affidavits right now. If they're lying, that's a perjury charge. You do time in a federal prison at this point. And and if if Joe Biden, they're really putting their they're putting their entire lives on the line, not their actual physical life, but but the lives that they they have right now with their families and everything. They're putting it on the line right now to try to fix our republic, to try to fix our system. Because if you have a Joe Biden coming in in this next administration. These people are going to be put in prison. That's what's going to happen to them. They're going to go after them like police state tyrants that they are, and they're going to put up. They're going to try to put as many of these people as they possibly can in prison just to teach them the lesson, lesson and show the rest of us you don't go against the swamp, you don't go against the establishment. Which I, 
So, so these all, all these people that are coming out, they are very brave, and I greatly appreciate. We really do owe them a, a debt of gratitude that they have the intestinal fortitude to come out there. So, yeah, so you know these these this packet traffic or this pocket traffic, whatever it is. I guess his his cybersecurity analysts were able to his ethical hackers were able to find it as it went through the article here is it's called am greatness it's american greatness i will i'll leave it up in the description it goes further into it but then he continues uh talking about these dominion voting systems where he explains uh what does he explain next that they can be manipulated, which is very interesting, that these can be manipulated. I remember reading about this, and this is the actual video. I tried to do my best to get the best video possible, but uh, I'm hoping uh, the sound looks like it's good. It's just the video isn't perfectly clear. So I'll uh, play that next clip. I file. The, uh, the voting record is able to be modified, deleted, adjusted by administrators or outside threats. And those, those are also explained in, in the user's manual. Operators can assign votes for write-in votes, blank or error ballots in large numbers. So all of these votes, they could get put into a batch file and then the administrator of that voting or tabulation system could say, okay, there's, there's 8,000 votes in this batch file or there's 5,000 votes in this batch file. And they can say, well, I think, you know, this batch will just make this go to this candidate. Here, uh, Colonel Colonel Phil Waldron, what he's referring to is that this that an administrator that actually runs the system, as in whoever, whatever government bureaucrat is in charge of running that, that tabulating software on that Dominion machine, actually has administrative power to move votes from one place to another and manipulate the vote. Uh, like I said before, he does also mention in this same testimony that uh, that they are connected to the internet, and then he says that the the user manual is an inch and a half thick. So you know you got to really look through for this stuff. But it seems like he's he is well informed and multiversed in his cybersecurity expertise, so he's aware of what's going on with these systems, and he is considered. I mean, at this point, testimony by a professional. Uh, I think it's like a professional source or something of that matter, or a subject matter expert. I think that's what it's called. It actually holds much more weight than a testimony from just some random person that doesn't have all of the accreditations that this that this gentleman has here. And uh, yeah, if if this if this turns out, I mean, if any of these things that are, that I'm reporting on today even turn out to be true, these are all serious problems in our system, and it would be. And this is in Arizona where he's talking. He's he's referring in particular. I don't even know if he's referring in particular to just Arizona alone, like an isolated incident, or if he's referring to the whole system in general. But it definitely seems like this Dominion, this uh, these Dominion voting systems, could easily be rife with fraud. And uh, so, so my very last one that I have here, and please, everybody, uh, you know, like, share, subscribe, but make sure you inform your friends about what's going on, and uh, just inform, it, it, give them, you know, the link to my podcast. They'll only have to listen really to last about thirty minutes where I cover this, because this is probably some of the most important stuff. The other stuff's kind of politics. This, this though, is actually getting into the nitty gritty, the stuff that the media really isn't reporting, and almost if you're doing nothing but nonstop watching uh, different media sources, you're really not going to get this information. 
So the, the very last one, which is a testimony of a many different truck drivers, they are independent contractors that work, well, they're subcontracted technically to the post, the postal service. And they were told to drive across state lines with upwards of 288,000 ballots in their truck. So uh, very last video, play clip uh, 12. So we put together logical conclusions based on the information that we have. Anomalies. What should have happened in Harrisburg, Jesse's trailers immediately unloaded. It was not unloaded in Harrisburg, even though his trailer contained mail for Harrisburg. Jesse should have been quickly unloaded and able to proceed. Jesse was forced to wait without explanation in a parking lot in the yard of that facility for six hours without explanation. Well, perhaps maybe there was a new person operating as an expediter. Perhaps somebody was sick and somebody forgot. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. Jesse's only exchanges pleasantries and small talk with others who talk to him at U.S. postal facilities. Postal supervisors don't talk to drivers. All of our experts say that. Jesse talked to a postal supervisor. Normally, Jesse receives a ticket that proves he was there. That was refused. Now, that wasn't an accident. That was intentional. That was, no, you receive no ticket. No explanation. Jesse unloads his trailer in Harrisburg before proceeding to Lancaster. Jesse was told to go to Lancaster while carrying the Harrisburg mail. Maybe we've got somebody who doesn't know how the Postal Service works. Maybe we've got somebody who didn't communicate with the postal supervisor who gave that order. Perhaps there are independent explanations for all of these, but you can imagine the odds of all of that happening on the day he carried completed ballots across state line from New York to New Jersey, across the state line of New Jersey to Pennsylvania, where his trailer full of ballots disappeared. Jesse usually leaves his trailer at the dock in Lancaster at the end of his ship, shift and picks it up the next day. It's gone. So what he's explaining here, and this is, I believe, some sort of government official he's explaining, or he's the lawyer. But if I had to guess, he's the lawyer of this guy named Jesse. He keeps saying Jesse, Jesse, Jesse over and over again. Jesse is the subcontracted driver from what it looks like. It looks like a young guy, kid just sitting there in a shirt, suit and tie. He's letting the lawyer speak for them on his, his behalf. So there's an estimation of 288,000 ballots that are pretty much unaccounted for. And it was Jesse, from insider information myself, I, I am a little bit familiar with the Postal Service. When a subcontractor does pull up, uh, they are supposed to get a ticket just to validate that they were at that location. So him, him not getting a ticket is very troubling and very concerning and so he pulled up to this dock he waited for they made him wait for six hours then they wouldn't even give him a ticket he let off his load that was meant to go to harrisburg pa apparently two hundred eighty-eight thousand ballots there and then they gave him something else from harrisburg pa and then they had him drive over to lancaster uh somewhere somewhere in new jersey or something he he was crossing they were making him pretty much cross state lines with ballots which is not good 
and might actually be a federal crime, <laughs> to be honest with you. And uh, there's also more. It is just the news article. I will have it in the description as well. But there's also more accounts from other uh, whistleblowers as well that are that are uh, that are contracted, subcontracted out. Now that press conference was in Arlington, Virginia, but this concerns. Uh, okay, so Jesse Morgan is the name of the driver. He was the subcontractor. He claimed his trailer was driving one full of potentially upwards of 288,000 ballots disappeared from its parked location at a Lancaster, PA, USPS. So that must have been when he picked up from Harrisburg and then they made him drive back to Lancaster without finishing uh, the drop-off of those ballots. And then the... Uh, and then he usually drops it. He leaves his truck in Lancaster, PA, and it disappeared. It was nowhere to be found. And and uh, Morgan had transported those ballots from Bethpage, New York. So he was crossing state lines with ballots. This whole thing's very confusing. Because they made him pretty much take Harrisburg ballots and then go to go to New York. From what I under, from what I understand, go to New York and then come back to Lancaster, PA, still having those ballots. Experienced odd behaviors from the USPS personnel, staff, and uh, their behaviors, which postal experts have said in sworn statements, grossly deviate from normal uh, procedure and behavior, which is right. Subcontractors don't speak to the supervisors of the facility. There really is no point. Maybe you might BS and, and mess around or make jokes with the other drivers that are there just because you see them every day. It's almost like seeing somebody in the office, you know, you're just like, hey, what's up? What's going on, man? How's your, you know, how's work today? What do you got? What's your plan? What have you? Now, another whistleblower, Nathan Pease of Madison, Wisconsin, himself also a, con a subcontractor for USPS, alleged that he was told the Postal Service was planning to backdate tens of thousands of ballots in the days after the November 3rd election in order to circumvent the ballot submission deadline. And that's in Wisconsin. And uh, a third witness, Gregory Stenstrom, who testified at a Pennsylvania legislature hearing in Gettysburg last week claimed to have witnessed a Dominion voting system vendor inserting jump drives into voting aggregation machines in Delaware, PA. Election officials also reported commingled various jump drives from aggregation machines, uh, potentially frustrating the ability of auditors to properly certify the election results. So those those jump drives that he's talking about, I think it's some sort of a USB device that you plug in and then you could throw ballots into the machine and doing that. I, I believe that's the way in which you would manipulate the system. And uh, yeah, the this is... Now this evidence... And I don't know who says this, Klein. I guess this is the lawyer here. Yeah, uh, he states this evidence joins with unlawful conduct by state and local election officials, including accepting millions of dollars of private funds to undermine the integrity of this election. Klein said in the press release, the Amistad Project says it has collected sworn expert testimony alleging that over 300,000 ballots are at issue in Arizona, 548,000 in Michigan, 204,000 in Georgia, and 121,000 in PA. Now, all of that would overturn the election. I, I, I think those are all above the difference in votes between Biden and Trump in those specific states. 
And it's, yeah, that's the director, Phil Klein, of the Amistad Project. Uh, it's it's really outrageous. It really is. So, yeah, so that that is, that is going to conclude this one. Just trying to update you guys, give you as much information as I can about, about these issues here. Uh, please like, share, subscribe, you know, share this with your friends. Maybe just tell them, Hey, listen, at least watch the last or listen to the last 30 minutes of this video. It's very compelling. It is, it'll show you a different narrative to what the mainstream is, isn't, isn't telling everybody or is telling, Oh, they're unsubstantiated claims They're unsubstantiated claims in the middle of the court system going on. They're unsubstantiated claims before anything is said and done. So, yeah, that, that'll conclude this one. Please like, share, subscribe. Make sure you drop the mic on people. Let them know about the podcast. I greatly appreciate everyone tuning in. Uh, I will see everybody on uh, Monday. Thank you. Strong.